True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. A woman gives birth to a baby boy. Five days later, she disappears. Five years later, her sister receives a message that will set off a desperate search for the truth. Only her search will bring her more questions than answers, and soon she'll find herself questioning everything she ever knew to be true. This is True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to Episode 50, The Disappearance of Natasha Fulyun. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank our Patreon and PayPal supporters for the week. A huge thank you goes out to Annalisa Jacobs for signing up to support the show on Patreon, and also to Natasha Fuchala, Anya Swart, and Ilka Zenskirali for their donations through PayPal. Thank you so much, everyone. Your support really is hugely appreciated. If you'd like to support the show through Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave the links in the show notes. We also have two additional ways that you can support the show now. You can head over to Audible and purchase my first audiobook performance of Jana Mark's The Krugersdorp Cult Killings. You can also use the discount code TCSA10 on the Health and Beauty online store, King Online, for a 10% discount and to support the show at the same time. As always, any form of support is greatly appreciated and it doesn't have to be financial. Sharing of episodes, inviting your friends and family to listen and interacting on our social media platforms all go a long way to help keeping the show growing and improving. I've covered a few missing person cases on this podcast Some have been more baffling than others. A few seem to quite clearly spell out foul play, and others seem to suggest that the person may honestly have just walked away. For the most part, though, missing person cases have one thing in common. When I speak to those who loved and now search for the person, I'm able to get a really clear picture about who that person was. I do this in these cases because I don't think that we always look at a missing person poster and see a person. I mean, we know it's a human being, but do we really have a deep comprehension of everything behind the face looking back at us? Do we think about what led that person to that point, what their family is thinking? Do we really wonder where they have gone? So speaking to the family helps to present a person behind the name. It makes us want to help find them. And I think that's the point. I had no idea going into this case that this one would be the missing person case that would force me to rethink all of that. But ten minutes into speaking to Natasha Fulyun's sister... I knew that this was not going to be simple. And that is precisely why I had to tell the story. Today I'm going to ask you to reserve your judgment, to put your preconceptions aside about who does and doesn't deserve justice. Because today we aren't just going to be asking where is Natasha Fulyun. We're also going to be asking... Who is Natasha Fulyun? So let's get into episode 50, The Disappearance of Natasha Fulyun. The following episode may contain sensitive material including descriptions of violence, sexual assault or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, Please see the helpline information on our show notes. Natasha's case came onto my radar in several ways. 
I read an article in which her case, as well as that of Desiree Reed and Eugene Zane Null, were featured. And I was also told about the case by Michael Fenter of SACCW. Michael and the organisation have helped these families throughout the years in their attempts to find their loved ones. What I found quite interesting was that when I would speak to family members of Desiree and Zane after covering their cases in the podcast, they would remind me that I still needed to cover Natasha's story. Searching for a missing loved one is a lonely journey. You're up against the system and often a whole lot of people that don't want you to be digging. Many of these family members are separated from the place where their loved one went missing by many thousands of kilometres. So the fact that they're looking out for each other is pretty awesome. The common denominator in these three cases is that it had been a sibling that was searching for the missing person. And in Natasha's case, it's no different. Her sister Luanne lives in Canada and I chatted to her over WhatsApp, and we scheduled a Zoom call too. I also then had the pleasure of talking to Natasha's daughter, Viona. You'll hear from both Luanne and Viona in this episode, and I think that what they have to say really adds colour to the story. Natasha Fulyun was born on the 3rd of February, 1975, when she... Luanne and their brother were still quite young, their parents divorced. Their father, an ex-policeman, now lives in Cape Town, and their mother lives near Leidenburg. The dynamics of every family are different, and I could tell up front when I started speaking to Luanne that she was uncomfortable about this aspect of the story, probably because she felt that people might judge her or her sister, the dynamics of their family. I'll get into this more later. When I spoke to Luanne, I asked her to recall some of her childhood with her sister. This is what she had to say. This little book that I have, I, I took pictures and I just posted in it and it's all pictures of when we were, you know, young and playing with our dolls. We would come from school and we would climb in the apricot. We had an apricot tree and we would just climb in the tree and just sit there and eat apricots till we like stuffed. And she made friends so easily. Um, I would be the shy one and Natasha's younger than me. So she would just make friends and then I would just, you know, walk in and then start playing with them. She, uh, everyone loved her. She was very sociable. Um, she in a, she's in a room. Everyone would like to talk to her. She's beautiful. She's And she just had the sparkling personality. In describing her sister, Luanne also really explains the dynamics between Natasha and her family a bit better. Natasha comes across as a person that was always on the move. The words spontaneous and impulsive come to mind. Natasha was pretty much the type of person that didn't want to be in one place for too long, and she never was. Tasha was very much a free spirit. She would be in and out of your life like she pleased to. She would change your phone numbers. She would move around. She got bored with her job very quickly. Natasha met Francois Fulyun when they were both in their early 20s. She fell pregnant with her daughter Viona when she was 21, and Luanne recalls that she was about three months pregnant at their wedding. You will hear Viona describe her father as one of the kindest people she knows, and it seems that he must have realised pretty early on that Natasha was not at a place in her life where she could commit to a marriage. When Viona was two months shy of her second birthday, Natasha and Francois divorced. Francois was building his own business and stable enough to raise Viona, 
and he maintained custody of the child with the family living in Pretoria. Viona tells me that her mother was almost completely out of her life at that time. Now I can already hear the judgment ringing in my ears. What kind of mother, etc., etc. Try not to do that. Not right now, at least. Listen to the rest of the story and draw your conclusions at the end. This is what Viona had to say about her knowledge and limited memory of those early years with Natasha. What I know from when I was like a baby, my parents got divorced when I was a year and a half. And my mother wasn't in contact with me until I was four years old. She would make contact with me once a year, maybe, or just like I saw her maybe once a year or in two years. I didn't really know how many times I saw her when I was little, but I do know like she never had her own house or anything. She always stayed with a guy friend or a boyfriend or whatever it was at the time. But, you know, as a kid, I think I kind of just put that stuff aside. I was just happy to see her most of the time. Around 2001, Natasha called her sister Luanne, who was living in Cape Town at the time, and told her that she wanted to move from Pretoria to Cape Town to start over. The idea was that she would move in with Luanne, find a job and save up to get her own place, so that she could eventually bring Viona to live with her. Uh, I remember she phoned me from Johannesburg and said, well, she wants um, to have a better life for her and Viona. And because Viona stayed, uh, they decided that Viona is going to stay on the farm with the father, the ex-husband. So it was a good environment and grandmother was also there. So when they got divorced, they just decided that it's good for Viona to stay there. So Tasha would come and go into Viona's life the same. But I think she really wanted Viona with her. So she said she wants to come to Cape Town. And I said, oh, I was very happy because um, I felt like a friend is coming to, to stay with me. And uh, when she moved over... We got a a job like 100 meters away from our townhouse as a receptionist. And because she didn't have a car at that, you know, moving, just she just flew over. I think it was a month or two in it. And she said, I don't like this. I don't like being a receptionist. I think I'm going to do waitressing. And I was, I remember I was disappointed. I'm thinking, well, do you really want to? you know, make this work, you know, I don't think, you know, waitressing is going to be good pay and stuff. But I said to her, then you have to uh, get your own transport. I'm not going to wake up at two o'clock in the morning to pick you up. So um, she did that and eventually she made friends and um, she then told me she is going to move in with this, you know, it's a girlfriend and I, I think we all know someone like Natasha, people who get bored easily and are seen as flighty, irresponsible and non-committal. For those of us who do not live our lives that way, having people like this around us can be frustrating. We want them to have the stability that we have because we think it will make them happy. It makes us happy after all. We just want them to stick with something and settle down. But let's face it, that life is not for everyone. For some people, life is more fulfilling when it's lived minute to minute. Sometimes that can be done in a healthy way, but it's unfortunately not conducive to raising a child. Natasha said that she wanted Viona to come and live with her in Cape Town, But as far as Luanne could see, she was making very little effort to make that a reality. At one point, she said she was a blowback strand or something like that. While she was staying with us, she would like, uh, on weekends, like leave me a note and said, oh, well, you know, I took some of the alcohol in your cupboard. I'm going to visit my friends. They're coming to pick me up. We're going to 
they're, they're probably going to clubbing. You know, she's single and it's all normal and stuff. But I really started getting annoyed with her and her. it didn't seem like she wants to make it work in my in my eyes. It, it just looked like, oh, well, she's just single. She just want to party and she just she's not taking this very seriously. I don't see her making it in Cape Town. And it wasn't very long after that. And she said, well, it's not working out. She's moving back to Gauteng. She misses Fiona. As Natasha left Cape Town in 2007 and returned to Pretoria, where she could be closer to Viona, Luan could have no idea that the move would be severing a connection between the sisters for much longer than she could have ever anticipated. When Natasha returned to Pretoria, she asked Francois if she could move on to his property. By then, Francois had remarried, and he, his wife Denise, Viona and a new sibling, were living quite happily together. Likely understanding that bringing Natasha into the picture would cause chaos in the household, Francois declined Natasha's request. Fiona did start to see her mom more when she moved back to Pretoria, and her memory of that time tells an interesting story about Natasha's lifestyle. The most I remember is when she actually moved to Johannesburg. So all the other stuff was quite blurry in the beginning, but when she moved to Joburg, I could remember everything. I saw her every second weekend, which was very fun. I loved seeing her. She was a great person to be around. She was always positive, always happy. Well, what I saw of her, yeah, she was a very, like, I always saw her as this very happy person. I never thought that she had some issues that she had to deal with herself. Yeah, every time I went over, we would watch movies. We didn't really mind schoolwork that much. She would buy me anything that I wanted. She would feed me sweets. She would do everything I I couldn't do in Pretoria. But then there was also a side of me that I wasn't really always comfortable with her. Even though she was my mother, my stepmother basically raised me. Her name's Denise. So I was way more comfortable with her in a lot of ways. Uh, Just about like becoming, you know, a girl and all the stages that you go through. I never shared anything like that with my mom because I thought maybe she wasn't interested or she didn't really care about it that much. So I just left it alone. Soon after Natasha moved back to Pretoria, Luanne immigrated with her husband to Canada. The sisters lost contact completely. Luanne was still in contact with her parents, but Natasha's contact with her family was sporadic and almost non-existent. In October of 2008, Natasha met a man. For the purposes of this podcast, we'll call him Lyle. There are conflicting reports about how Lyle and Natasha met. In fact, two of those different versions come from Lyle himself. But we'll get into that more later. We only really have Lyle's version to work off here as to how things progressed. But most of the plain facts have been confirmed, and I'll point out the ones that haven't. Lyle was a successful businessman with a thriving family business. He says that when he met Natasha, they instantly clicked, and it wasn't long before they were in a relationship. He says that Natasha expressed a desire to live a more stable lifestyle, and he was happy to provide for her while she worked on herself. Shortly after meeting, Natasha moved in with Lyle. He provided her with a cell phone, a car, and gave her an allowance each month. These claims would later be supported by Natasha's bank records. The version of events that Lyle provides comes from a statement he would give in the days after Natasha's disappearance. Viona, however, is also able to provide some background to what could have happened during that time. She started visiting her mother and Lyle every second weekend. 
In the beginning, she says, it was fun. Her mother let her do everything that she wasn't allowed to do at home. They would eat sweets, go out and do fun things, and watch movies together. She does recall that Lyle was almost never there when she was, though. He would come home late at night, or simply stay away for most of the weekend when she was there. For the most part, Viona really enjoyed visiting with Natasha, but then things started to change. In October 2009, when she and Lyle had been together for a year, Natasha discovered that she was pregnant. In his statement, Lyle describes this as a point when their relationship started to make a downward spiral. Viona also noticed a change in her mother. She spent a lot more time in bed and didn't come with to fetch her from Pretoria anymore. Lyle would collect her from Pretoria for her visits instead. Viona noticed the tension growing between Lyle and Natasha too. And when she got pregnant, they moved into a bigger home, like a two-story, very, very nice place. I loved going there. It was so much fun. And she and thought it like there was conflict. There was a lot of conflict between them. He wouldn't come home until late at night. He would not even like pitch for the entire weekend when I was there. He would just continuously give my mom money so that we can go have a good time. Um, and she had her own car. She drove a Mercedes that he bought for her. While she was pregnant, I started thinking like something was wrong. Like something is, is funny with her. Like she smelled like smoke all the time. Her chest was blue. It, it was very weird. And I, can, I always ask her like, are you smoking while you're pregnant? Because that's not a good thing for the baby. And I was like grade six years, so I didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> I was just like asking her general questions and she would be very offended by that. Like, how dare you think that I smoke while I'm pregnant? Do you think I'm going to kill your brother? And I'm like, no, no, not at all. I'm just wondering. She stopped doing things with me while I visited. I only thought it was because she was pregnant, but she was very depressed. Um, she didn't get out of bed that much. On the 25th of May, 2010, Natasha gave birth to her son. Viona recalls the day and how she was picked up by Lyle to go and see her mom in hospital. When I was in grade seven, she gave birth to my baby brother, but um, I saw her in the hospital. Leo picked me up at school and then I went over to see her and she was... Obviously, she was very out of it. So she was full of drugs and still very woozy, very tired and everything. And But she told me, like, she loves me so much and she can't believe she still has... She just gave me a brother and she's so happy. This is, like, the happiest she's ever been. And she can't wait to be a family and she can't wait for me to move in with her and their family. Natasha went on Facebook and expressed her intense joy at the birth of her son, and she referred to Lyle as my heart serpent, an Afrikaans expression of adoration. Natasha was over the moon. Perhaps she saw this as a way to start over, and where she had failed to be the mother she wanted to be to Viona and missed out on so much. Perhaps she thought she could correct those mistakes with this new baby. Viona went home that night with their warmth in her heart. She'd never seen Natasha so happy, and she looked forward to watching her little brother grow up and have a family unit in Lyle, Natasha and the baby. Viona had started seeing a therapist during the time that her mother came back into her life. Understandably, there were issues that she had to deal with that related to abandonment and all of the difficulties of having Natasha coming in and out of her life. She recalls the day about a month after her mother had given birth when she'd been in her therapist's office and received some unbelievable news. 
I went to my therapist. I saw a therapist weekly at that point. The, the therapist asked me, do I think like my, my mom's still there in Johannesburg with my brother? And I said, yes, of course. She's just really, really busy and she can't call me or WhatsApp me. Like she, she hasn't been in contact with me. So I thought she was just very busy with, you know, my brother. And then my therapist called in my dad and my stepmom and they told me that she left. She took, I think it was a hundred thousand rand out of the house and she got into the Mercedes and she just left the house. Um, obviously at that point that was very devastating. Like I couldn't believe it because that's not how it sounded like what, what was really happening. Two versions would emerge about what happened on the 30th of May 2010 in Bedford View at the home of Lyle and Natasha. One is that Lyle woke up in the middle of the night hearing his son crying. He then realised that Natasha had left and that she'd taken approximately 100,000 rand in cash from his safe. The second scenario that was relayed was that Lyle and Natasha argued, he demanded that she leave, and when she refused, he took the baby away from her while armed with a gun, left the house with the child, taking him to his parents' house for safekeeping. When he returned to the house, Natasha was gone, and she'd stolen 100,000 rand from him. The last social media activity from Natasha was on the afternoon of the 29th of May. She posted pictures of her son with a quote that read, He has the spirit of the sun, the moods of the moon, and the will of the wind. She tagged several friends in that post to share in her joy. Natasha Fulyun did not return to her five-day-old son. She never made contact with Fiona again. About a month after Natasha's disappearance, Lyle would visit Fiona, Francois and Denise, and the adults sat and discussed the matter. Fiona was just 13 years old when Natasha disappeared, and understandably, her father and stepmother tried to protect her from the situation. Very few of the details about what Lyle had said were shared with her at the time. When Lyle sat and discussed his relationship with Francois and Denise, a tangled web of lies seemed to emerge. Among them, Lyle says that Natasha had told him that Francois had been abusive to her during their marriage and that he'd cheated on her with Denise. All parties involved strongly deny this, and in fact, Viona can attest to the fact that Francois only met Denise years after her mother left. Lyle says that Natasha had told him that both her parents were dead. They are, in fact, both still alive. She told him that she'd raised Viona from birth until the age of 10 and had only handed her over to her father at that age because she'd been financially unable to care for her. We know from Viona that this was not true. Then Lyle made more shocking claims. He said that from shortly before Natasha had fallen pregnant, she'd begun to physically abuse him. He mentioned several occasions on which Natasha had punched, pushed and slapped him. Then he said that Viona would be able to back up his claims because on at least one of these occasions she'd been visiting this is how Viona describes the incident. I came home in the afternoon and we were working on my room that I had with her um, at their house. And uh, she went, she stormed to their room because I was in there and she started yelling at him, asking like, where was he? Why is he only getting home now? And then I just heard like this big slap and I, I panicked. I was like, what just happened? And my mother came back into my room and her lip was busted. And I was freaking out because I thought hit her. 
while she was pregnant. So Viona did not actually see the physical altercation. She heard fighting and a slap, but the only physical evidence she saw herself was her mother's bleeding lip, which Lyle claims happened when Natasha hit him and then accidentally smacked her own mouth with her arm. Francois would also admit that there had been physical abuse from Natasha toward him during their own marriage. When Natasha and Lyle's son was born, she referred to him by a specific name on Facebook. After Natasha disappeared, Lyle started to refer to his son by a different name. He also told Francois and Denise that he was going to do everything he could not to have Natasha's name on the child's birth certificate, and that he would fight for sole custody if necessary. Such a fight would not happen, though, as Natasha would never reappear. Francois and Denise believed wholeheartedly that Natasha had left of her own accord. I can understand from her history why they would initially think this. They did not report her missing. Lyle claims that he was glad Natasha was out of his and his son's life. He also did not report her missing. None of Natasha's friends seemed to question her whereabouts either. In Canada, Luanne was living her life. She had not had contact with her sister since she'd left South Africa, and although she had phone contact with her parents, Natasha did not have contact with them at all. For five years, Natasha Fulyun was not reported missing. Her family had no idea that she had disappeared. And then Luanne received a message from Denise, asking if she had heard from Natasha at all. So when Viona was a little bit older, she started seeing a psychiatrist because she had abandonment issues from her mom. So her stepmom uh, contacted me through Messenger and asked, have I heard from uh, Natasha? That was the red flag for me because I knew that Tasha would still be in contact with Fiona, even if it's just every now and then. And I think when you talk to Fiona, that would also give you a good indication of the relationship they had. So that was really a red flag for me, and that's when I decided, well, I'm going to really look into this. This is not just moving around and don't care about, you know, talking to family and stuff. It, at some point I thought, well, she doesn't care about, it, you know, talking to us or she just wants to do her own thing. But, and Viona was the key point for me. And it's at this point that Luanne feels awkward about the fact that they had no idea her sister was missing. I know that many people that are listening to this will also wonder how it's possible. And let me tell you, it is entirely possible. All families are different, and it's not uncommon for adults to separate themselves from their families and live their own lives. This happens for many reasons. Sometimes there are feuds, unresolved trauma, and sometimes people just drift apart and don't have a particularly strong bond with their families. Many siblings lose contact with each other for long periods of time. Natasha had always lived life on her own terms. She'd never been in one place for too long, and it wasn't uncommon for the family to go long periods without hearing from her. When Luanne received that message from Denise, she replied that she hadn't heard from her sister, when she was told that Natasha had not had contact with Viona for five years, she was shocked. Although she had known that her sister had her issues with permanence, she could not believe that she would totally cut herself out of her daughter's life like that without an explanation. And then she found out that her sister had another child. Luanne had known nothing of her sister's second pregnancy. Quite strangely, it would turn out that the two women had been pregnant at the same time. 
their sons had been born within a month of each other. Luanne contacted her parents, and the family started to realise that something was very wrong. Luanne tried to open a missing persons case from Canada by phone, but the police in South Africa refused and said that someone would need to come into the police station in person. Luanne and Natasha's dad was hesitant to go, but he eventually agreed and opened a missing persons case in Claymont, where he lived at the time. The officers were incredulous, Luanne says, as her father had known they would be. How could they be opening a case five years after a person was last seen? Luanne was angry that no one had told them in all that time. And feeling like she was now all her sister had, she started to investigate. Because then my search started like, okay, now I'm going to contact everyone on her Facebook page and ask, uh, I was trying to play detective. I posted the first picture of Natasha on Facebook that she's missing. It, uh, the response was enormous, like, As Luanne started to dig into her sister's movements before her disappearance, two things became clear to her. Firstly, she could not find a single person anywhere that had seen or spoken to Natasha since the 30th of May 2010. And the second was that she really had no idea who her sister was. And on my search for finding her, it's like opening someone's closet, you know, and I wouldn't like it if someone goes into my past in so much detail and stuff. So the stuff that I found was some good, and it's almost like everyone that knew Natasha knew a different person. It was, everyone had a different experience of her. Everyone knew a different Natasha. And suddenly she felt like she was not just looking for her sister in the physical sense, but also searching for the real Natasha Fulyun. The most shocking moments came when she received Lyle's statements by email from Denise. Reading the claims in those pages was like reading about someone else, Luann says, a woman that was not her sister. Along with the abuse claims, she read that Lyle had said her sister was taking drugs. In Lyle's statements, he'd said he met Natasha at a restaurant. Denise, however, told her that he'd said he'd met Natasha at a hotel with a group of sex workers. He claimed that at the time he'd met her, she'd been working as an escort and that she'd started to use drugs to cope with the work. This would not be the last time that Luanne would hear of Natasha having turned to sex work on occasion to earn money. The owner would also recall that she'd seen different men visiting her mother on occasions when she would visit her throughout her childhood. Natasha would tell her to watch television and then disappear with the men into the room and re-emerge later. The missing persons case would eventually be transferred to Bedford View, but police seemed hesitant to investigate, considering how much time had passed since Natasha's disappearance. Luanne did her best to investigate from her end. Her first stop was Lyle. So actually one day um, I decided I'm going to phone I was so nervous. And I actually, when I talked to him, my first response was, he's very smooth. He's, he was very charming and he, it's, he sounded like the perfect father and, you know, he's very sincere and listening and just playing along. Like it was only later in my emails that I got so irritated with him. Then I would just ask him, was there any insurance on Natasha's life? You know, maybe. All his emails was just blunt, but you can't read emotions in emails. In the years since Natasha has disappeared, Lyle has stopped speaking to Viona completely. I saw my brother for the, f- the first time 
we went to Johannesburg and he was so very, very small, very cute. I held him for the first time and that was the last time as well. Um, did not keep in contact with me. He basically just didn't talk to me or anything. And that made me very sad because I just lost my mother and now I'm losing my brother as well and doesn't want me to see him at all. Then I left it alone because I didn't want to bother him or say anything to him to make him more angry with me than he already was because he hated my mom. And so he basically thinks I'm the same, exact same person. It would come to light that the reason for Denise's message to Luanne in 2015 was because it coincided with another event. Viona, having had no idea about the real details of her mother's disappearance, had found the statement that Lyle had written all those years before. Then when I was in matric, I, I found an affidavit and I read it was, it was the affidavit that wrote to get my mother's name off my brother's birth certificate. Um, and in that letter, I, I, I read a lot of things that I did not realize at the time. He wrote his phone number on the affidavit. So I took the phone number and with a bit of luck, I called it and it was his company's number for the company that he, he was working with his parents. And I asked if was in, can I please talk to him? And they said it wasn't a problem. He'll call me back later. And then he actually called me and uh, he talked like nothing happened. He was like, where are you? How is life? How's everything going? What's been happening and everything? And I was like, are you, I'm very confused right now. Like you had my parents' number, you have my number. I could never get your number ever because nobody gave it to me and nobody wanted to give it to me, but you didn't make any contact or send pictures of my brother. Like he's like five years old now. Like how did you not make any contact with me? I was very, very upset with him, but I didn't want to make him feel like I'm attacking him. So I just played nice. And I asked if I can see a few pictures of him, like my brother, and he sent me a couple and then he sent me pictures every week for like a month. And then he just stopped again. And so I tried to contact him again. I was like, Hi, how are you doing? How's everything going? And then he, he just didn't respond to any of my texts. He also didn't have WhatsApp, which was very weird because at that stage, everybody had WhatsApp. So he only MMSed me and SMSed me. And then he just stopped responding to any of my conversations. And I had no idea where they lived. I have no idea where they are. I don't know what school my brother's going to. I don't know any of that information. So I think that was just kind of showing me like I'm never going to have any input in my brother's life ever. At this point... Viona also started to realise that her mother had lied to her about a lot of things too. In the period that I saw her a lot, she did lie about a few things that I wasn't aware about. She said that her dad died of cancer, but he's very much alive. <laughs> she said that Luanne, my aunt, didn't want to see me at all. She didn't care about me she never spoke about her family and she she just kind of kept me to herself I also know she was very manipulative not at the time but she used to badmouth my stepmother tell me she is the worst person in the world that she stole my dad from her uh, and she wanted to get back with my dad and she wants to be a family again and stuff like that and that always gave me like a little hope but I know my dad was very happy so I knew it, ne it would never happen. Luanne started to walk the path that every family member of a missing person does. She was contacted by PIs offering their services for exorbitant sums of money. 
She spoke to Natasha's friends, ex-boyfriends and ex-colleagues. No one had seen her or heard from her. She tried to get Natasha's cell phone records. Remember, the phone was on a contract paid for by Lyle. I asked for Natasha's cell phone accounts. It took such a long time, like multiple. He wouldn't respond back very quickly. Eventually he sends it, but I need apparently a section 205 to see, you know, a call from the court to see the detailed phone numbers. As Luann rightly believed, those phone records would be the key to knowing what really happened to her sister. If, as she was told, her sister had left of her own accord, there would be phone calls after she left the house. She would have had to have called someone to pick her up, a taxi at the very least. She left her car behind. Luanne has never been able to access those phone records. We don't know whether the police have looked at them either. During Luanne's initial investigation, she was contacted by a retired policeman living in Bedford View. He wanted to help. Luanne explained to him that she had no money to pay him, and he told her that he didn't want payment. The man had an extensive network of contacts in Johannesburg. If Natasha had asked for help or was living in the area, he felt that he would be able to track her down. The retired policeman found absolutely no trace of Natasha. There had been no activity on her ID number, and she had not used her bank account. She had simply vanished. When Michael Fenter from SACCW started to share Natasha's missing person poster, a few leads were generated. One was a sighting of Natasha in Berea, in Johannesburg. Luanne recalls feeling absolutely helpless. There was also a sighting of a different kind mentioned on Facebook. A tarot card reader and psychic said that she'd believed Natasha had been murdered. She described her death as the result of an argument that went too far and said that her body had been buried in an area near trees. And then someone else said they think they saw someone that looked like Natasha walking in the street. Now I'm sitting in Canada, how do I respond to this? And Denise also said if I find anything of uh, information, I should let her know and she'll tell Viona. And I remember that uh, when Viona visited me, she said when she heard about that, she wanted to get into it. Oh, she, she wanted to get into a car, go look for me. You know, they had to stop it. Like, this is not a place for a young kid. Or... Luanne had never met Fiona. She had been born when Luanne lived in Cape Town, and then she'd left for Canada. Fiona says that she'd been told by her mother that her aunt wanted nothing to do with her. As Fiona matriculated and started to understand what had really happened all those years ago, she made contact with Luanne, and they started to chat. Luanne invited Fiona to visit them in Canada, and in 2017, aunt and niece met for the first time. And then I visited Luanne in Canada. Uh, I think it's three years ago now, yeah. And it was the best vacation ever. I, I was so excited, but I was very stunned when I saw her. She looks exactly like my mother. I was, I thought, no, this is a scam. Like, this is actually Natasha. This isn't my aunt at all. Yeah, no, they look exactly alike, except for the hair. Her hair is very short, and my mom's hair was always long and black and dark. In the years that have followed, Luanne has continued on her quest to find her sister. Lyle would claim that Natasha had contacted him twice after she'd left, but no one else has ever heard from her. There is no physical or digital trace of her at all. When I contacted Luanne about covering this case, she mentioned my interest to Viona. Viona immediately asked if she could help. 
Fiona is an amazingly strong and insightful young woman. I have no doubt that the counselling she received throughout her young life has helped, and she seems to have a very clear understanding of the situation. My heart breaks for her, though, because like so many families of missing people, she's stuck in a holding pattern. For her, that holding pattern is confused and difficult. My dad, he went through a lot as well. He, obviously, he got divorced at a very young age and she was very abusive to him as well. So I know that abusive side that talked about was true. I know that she was also very absent at most of my, like when I was little, but when I visited her, she would leave me alone in the apartment while she went out. Um, You know, it's the bad stuff. I remember some of it, but not most of it. She was abusive to me one time as well. She hit me because I spilled some hot wax on the floor and she just got so angry. She hit me through the face and I was so shocked and she was shocked and it was just, she started crying and ran away and I was just sitting there. She would tell me things that wasn't true at all. And he could see in my grades, my grades started doing, I, I did I didn't do good at school at that time when she was there. Also, I started eating very unhealthy and I didn't really see it that way. But he said that he saw this big turn in my emotions as well. He said I was a very positive person when I started visiting Natasha. And then after, after like a year of visiting her, I was depressed. I was... I wasn't emotionally available to anyone around me. I completely blocked out the world and just wanted to be with my mom and my own world. My dad and my stepmom also said, um, that's very true. Like I, I was very depressed, but I only thought that was, I was depressed because I didn't really have what everybody else had in my school. So I thought I was different and I was weird. But I always, I still have this very weird fear of her returning. I thought she would come to my high school graduation and uh, or my 18th birthday, but it, she didn't show. And then I thought maybe she's going to come when I'm 21 or maybe when I graduate from college because all my information is very clear on Facebook. Um, she She could have easily just Googled me and see where I lived or what school I go to or anything like that. So it wasn't hard to find me at all, but she never showed. And so I keep thinking like, she's gonna, she's gonna come (laughs) when I'm married or she's gonna come when I have a baby. You know, I, I always, I don't know what kind of person she really is at the end of the day. I spent all this time with her, but I don't really know who she is. I only saw the image she wanted me to see. Fiona wants to know what happened to Natasha, because it's a missing piece of her life. She is understandably hesitant about ever having a relationship with her mother again, because of all the lies and pain she's had to live with. But she needs to be able to stop wondering when Natasha is going to walk in the door. So what could have happened to Natasha Fulyun? Could she really have walked out that night and never looked back? Booned by a large amount of stolen cash, did she go off and start a new life somewhere else, as she'd done so many times before? Luann finds this difficult to believe. With Lyle, Natasha had everything she could want from a monetary perspective. She had the opportunity to live as a family, with Lyle, their son, and Viona. Would she really have thrown that all away? Luann has tried to get her sister's case changed to a case of murder, because that is what she believes has happened. Luann does not believe that her sister left her five-day-old son of her own free will. Natasha had a caesarean section to deliver the child, and she simply does not feel that she would have been physically capable at that point 
of entering into a violent altercation and then making the efforts to flee. The fact that there is absolutely no sign of her for the last 11 years also makes her believe that she is probably no longer alive. To be honest, this could well be the case. Sure, Natasha would not have had to use her bank account or ID for a while if she'd accessed the type of money she'd allegedly stolen, but that would not have lasted forever, and I find it difficult to believe that no one would have seen her or heard from her since. Although it is hard to believe that a mother would walk away from her five-day-old baby, Natasha had a history of finding mothering difficult. But would she really sever all contact for 11 years? Natasha's history shows us that she would go through cycles in her life. But she'd always return to her daughter at some point. Until the 30th of May 2010. In the beginning of this episode, I said that we would be looking at answering two questions. The first is, where is Natasha Fulyun? And the second is, who is Natasha Fulyun? Luanne still feels like she's trying to figure out that last question too. Natasha Fulyun was a sister. Sure, she didn't keep close contact with her siblings, but Luanne still feels strongly enough about her to be looking for her 11 years later at great personal cost. Natasha Fulyun was a daughter. Again, her relationship with her parents was not terribly close in her adult life, but they too still wonder where she is. Natasha Fulyun was a mother. Although she may not have made the best choices in motherhood, she seemed eager to fix those mistakes before she disappeared, and by all accounts, she was deeply in love with her baby son. But then, Natasha Fulyun also appears to have been a liar. She appears to have been violent at times, and it's difficult to listen to the pain in Viona's voice and not feel angry at the choices Natasha made, which would have so deeply impacted her daughter, son, and the rest of her family. So I think the answer to the question, who is Natasha Fulyun, is that she was a flawed human being, like every single other human being. If you disappeared today and people started looking into your life, would they find things that surprised them? Would everyone say you were a wonderful, fantastic person? Of course not. Because really, everyone has many sides to them. Maybe not to the painful extent that Natasha did. We all have different faces. We're just around to keep them hidden. And Natasha isn't. When I started delving into this case and realized how complex Natasha's past was, and how many really difficult claims were being made about her, I wondered how I was going to cover this. In the past, I've had a pretty singular narrative about the missing person, and then I realized that perhaps that was only because I hadn't dug deep enough. It would be naive to think that any of the missing people I cover on this podcast did not have a past deeper than what lay on the surface. So in covering this case, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to broaden my own mind, and also hopefully get others thinking a bit more too. Because justice is not just reserved for the people we think deserve it. Justice is for everyone. Luanne wants her sister back in her life. She wants to be able to catch up with her and rekindle their bond. And if that can't happen, she wants justice for her sister. Fiona just wants to be able to stop holding her breath at every major point in her life. She wants to stop wondering when Natasha is going to walk through the door.
She just wants certainty. I don't know if Natasha Fulyun is still alive. My gut makes me feel that she probably isn't. But I've learned in missing person cases that there are many possibilities about where people go when they disappear off the face of the earth. Applying Occam's razor to this case is difficult. The simplest explanation is the most likely, but which is the simplest? That Natasha was murdered, or that she walked away, and has either passed away since then, or is still alive out there? Just like trying to figure out who she is, figuring out where she is, is not that simple after all. When I think back at, um, if I think about Natasha, I would actually just think about Viona because, you, know, you know, there's so much in her that I can see my sister actually in Viona. So she's, um, she's alive in Viona and it's her blood, you know, it's, Viona is also my blood, you know, and it, when someone else saw the resemblance, you know, that was kind of special to me. Like, even if she's she's gone, I still have Leona. And that's, you know, and we have a beautiful relationship now. We, you know, we text each other and she can't wait to come and visit again, you know, to come and ski and snow and spend some time with us. But, yeah, it's, um, that's one good thing that come, came out of this, you know, it's, I wish I could share it with Natasha, you know, but I'm glad I have Viona. What we do know, though, is that no matter who Natasha was at certain times in her life, and no matter what she may have done, finding out the truth now is the best case scenario for everyone. And even though there seems to be no trace of her, there is one. It's just in someone's head. It's either a dark secret that someone's been keeping for 11 years, or it's just a piece of knowledge about her whereabouts. The key is getting that knowledge out of that person's head and into the hands of police. I have stopped being surprised at the apparent lack of attention to missing persons cases by the police. I understand that it is more complex a matter than any person in the public understands, but that doesn't make it any less frustrating. Luanne should not have to desperately try and find her sister on her own, when the police could very easily do this on her behalf. She shouldn't have to apply for court orders to get her sister's phone records or use the kind assistance of retired policemen to try and find any trace of Natasha. She shouldn't have to wonder if her sister has been buried as a Jane Doe, because it's almost impossible to use DNA to figure out if her body was taken to a morgue in South Africa in the last 11 years. We hear all the time about cold cases like this being solved, but it means that somebody has to step up. I am glad that I chose to cover this case, and I'm grateful to Viona and Luanne for chatting to me. It's made me think entirely differently about missing person cases. I wanted to see if I could take a case that was not entirely clear-cut, and a person who perhaps wasn't everyone's cup of tea, and still create the same type of outcry for justice that we've seen in other cases. Natasha Fulyun was a flawed human being, and perhaps she really doesn't want to be found. But even then, we still need to find her. Because it's not just about her anymore. It's about a young lady that has battled the odds and overcome, and now deserves to know what happened to her biological mother so that she can move on with her life. And it's about a sister who sits thousands of kilometers away, feeling helpless. So if you cannot bring yourself to want to help find Natasha Fulyun, 
simply because she was the complex and flawed human being we all are, then please do it for Viona and Luann, because they deserve it. On Viona's Facebook page, she shares a quote that I thought was a fitting end to this episode. Things we lose have a way of coming back to us in the end, if not always, in the way we expect. Thank you for listening to episode 50, The Disappearance of Natasha Fulyun. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the show on the platform you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I'll be back next Friday with the Spotlight Minisode. Until then, as always, thank you for your support and I'll chat to you soon. <laughs>